0: I recently read in an article in which the author, a Catholic priest, he says, as a child growing up in the 50s and in the early 60s, I was part of that generation of Catholics within which every Catholic boy or girl was asked to consider the question, do I have a vocation? But back then, mostly that meant, am I called to be a priest or a religious brother or a religious sister? Vocation, in fact, was understood in that way, I think, because marriage and family life were the norm. They were what everyone else was doing. It was taken for granted, for the most part, that a man would marry a woman and they would start a family. You didn't need a special call or a supernatural help to do that, it seemed. Besides, you had the support of your extended family, your public school, your neighbors, friends, and society in general. So it was kind of like by default thing to do. But as we are aware, things have changed a lot. According to a Pew Research Center, I quote, there's no longer one dominant family form in the US. In 1960, 73% of all children were living in a family with two married parents in their first marriage, 73%. By 1980, 61 of the children were living in this type of family. And today, less than a half are, 46%. So back in the 50s and the 60s, there were no need to speak about a vocation to marriage. But now, we are in a very different and, of course, we, I could offer many more gloomy statistics. I think this is just enough but to make a point. We live in a culture that discourages any attempt to define what is better or worse for human beings. A culture that cannot tolerate any claim that some things lead to our flourishing and other things are out of bounds. Fine. We're not here to combat the culture. We didn't come to Mass to combat the culture. We are here to be encouraged in our Christian journey. To be affirmed in our beliefs, in our practices as Christians. So for that to happen, we need to go back to the biblical idea of human love and family life. To go back. That is what Jesus did when he was confronted about divorce. Remember, when he was asked, he said, look... At the beginning, when God the Father created human beings, he created them, created them man and woman. And then he added, a man shall live his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus' idea of a family is very specific. A man and a woman that love each other commit with each other for the rest of their life and out of that love and commitment spring forth life. Do you think we can take this for granted? Not anymore. But this is still what the Catholic Church upholds as the true and best model for a family. Yes, we do acknowledge that we live in a complex and broken world and we recognize that there are other models in which human love can be offered. Pope Francis did that, for example, in Amoris Letizia, He speaks about that. And there are single moms, single dads, and other situations in which people are striving to love one another and raise their families the best they can. But we still must have the courage to propose to young people the beauty and the truth of the Christian family ideal. The benefit, I think, of living in a culture that has lost sight of this ideal is that it has helped us to rediscover marriage as a vocation again, in the specific sense of a supernatural call from God. Our natural resources are not enough to make it work. They were never enough, really. But today, that truth has become clearer How can a man say to a woman today, given all these gloomy statistics, I will stay forever with you. I will love you forever. Or likewise, a woman say the same thing to a man. How can they do that today? They can do it only if they know that God has called them to be together. Only if they can see their love story as a part of a bigger and wider love story, the story of the love of God for the church. That is the true meaning of the sacrament of matrimony. Only if they can understand themselves in that way, only if they can see the circumstances that led them to meet each other as part of a provident plan of God for them, so they can see how God worked in and through their lives to put them together, and begin a family. So that conviction is very important, very important, because then it is clear that it's not only about them choosing each other. That's part of, the, part of the truth. But it's also about them being chosen by God to be together. And that is what gives them the conviction to fight for the family, especially through the tough moments. Without that conviction, it's so tempting to jump ship. If it's just me choosing you and you choosing me, then it's not so clear now after so many years, for example. I might choose a newer model or whatever, no? Once they realize that they have been called by God, they wake up to a new sense of mission in common. We have a mission because that vocation is always for a mission. God calls us to do something, a mission that they have together. And this is the only way, I think, to understand what St. Paul says in today's second reading, if you paid attention. We preachers tend to avoid this verse, especially in a homily, but I won't avoid it today. He says, wives, be subordinate to your husbands, as is proper in the Lord. This subordination is not based on a difference in intelligence or character or dignity. The accounts of creation in Genesis make it very, very clear that man and woman are created with equal dignity, equal worth, each reflecting God's glory in a different and complementary way. Edith Stein, a Jewish woman philosopher and later Catholic saint, she wrote... If the man is to be the leader, the head of his wife, and we can add accordingly, likewise, the head of the entire family, in the sense Christ is head of the church, so is it the duty of the man to conduct this microcosm of the mystical body, the family, in such a way that each of its members may be able to develop his gifts perfectly, and contribute to the salvation of the entire body, and that each may attain his own salvation. It's meant to lead in such a way that everyone can flourish. So this is to say that his leadership is not for the purpose of power, as we understand leadership and subordination in the world, but of service so that each one whom he leads can fulfill his or her identity and calling This leadership is based on their mission as a family. The husband and wife are on a mission together. They are there for the sake of something and someone beyond themselves, their children and the ones around them. And it is a difficult, challenging, but important and beautiful mission that they received. I recently was uh, having a conversation with with a young man and he living with his girlfriend and he was planning just to go on like that and at some point he said you know I, I don't think we'll have any kids at all what is the point no. we plan to travel we plan to be together as long as we want to and to know the world, explore and at some point maybe we'll we will do something for others but, but not, not, not now no, we just want to enjoy each other and I wouldn't say that that is mean or evil but for sure it's not Christian it's not the Christian perspective of a family. No sense of mission. No sense of anything beyond just the two of them. They chose each other, they enjoy themselves, and that's it. But if you have this sense of mission, this changes everything. Imagine a couple that is hiking through the woods. They get lost, and they need to get back home on time. Well, in that context, someone needs to take the lead. Sure, they need to discuss a plan, talk things through, but some, at some point, one has to say, let's go this way. Today, the work of God is saying, in this mission that family has, the man should take the lead. This is what happened to Joseph. The angel spoke to him and said, take the mother and the child and go to Egypt. And then he presented himself again, and Joseph, oh no, yes, take the mother and the child and go back to the Holy Land. It is surprising that the angel did not speak to Mary for this, because there was no doubt who was wiser and who was holier and who was the most important person in that couple, and that it was Mary. And the angel had spoken to Mary before, of course, when the incarnation took place. But for this, type of leadership. He spoke to Joseph and Mary followed him. That makes it clear that this question of leadership in the family is not founded on a difference of dignity or capacity or wisdom or holiness, of course, or importance. But to understand this topic is very important to see that man's leadership is only one piece of a mosaic that can only be understood when all the other pieces are in place. To understand a mosaic, you need all the pieces, and they, and they draw something. No? This is a piece, a mosaic, that, that, that is about the Holy Family. And this is only one, and our families as well. And This is one piece only. The other pieces are what St. Paul speaks about in, in his letter that we just heard. Put on as God chosen ones, see? He chose us. Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And over all this, put on love. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We could do a homily on each one of these points, of course. no? All these pieces are surrounding, if you want, what the topic of, of leadership in the family. And then he says specifically to the husbands, husbands, love your wives. Don't irritate your children. So, again, leadership is just one topic to be understood in the context of a family in mission that strives to live in mutual love, humility, forgiveness, peace, gratefulness, nurturing with the, this with the word of God. And, of course, the Eucharist. A family in which there is sacrificial love. You know, in our fallen world, love is sacrificial. There's no way around it. If it's true love. Because it implies putting the other first. Serving the other. And also it implies discipline. Think about this. Discipline gives intensity to love. Without discipline, there's no intensity in love. It gets... Spoiled, if you want. And that applies most especially to men. They are called to serve their families with intensity, with discipline, with this type of sacrificial love and service. I often say to young married men, Your wife is your queen. Because in in Spanish we have this beautiful expression, mi señora, we say, no, mi señora. Hard to translate, it comes from, that, from Latin, domina. No? It means she's the one who rules over me. She's mi senora. Mm? And I like it because it counteracts the, uh, this macho type of masculinity that is very destructive. No? So it's only in this context of mutual love that we can understand what St. Paul is saying about men leading. Otherwise it wouldn't make any sense and it would become just tyranny. I agree with C.S. Lewis that women are fully capable of leading, and there are some families, because he wrote about these topics, and there are some families that where, where the woman is the leader, the spiritual leader and the leader in general. No? I, I, I'm sure you met families like that. But for the most part, even Catholic women who are successful in their careers, capable, independent, and professional, they also want a man at their side who is willing to step up and take on their responsibility as leaders of the family. I found that that is, in, in most of the cases. They suffer when the man is indolent, lazy, selfish, doesn't want to commit, when he doesn't discipline their children, when he doesn't care, when he doesn't say anything, when, when he spends all his time watching TV or doing other things in, in his own world, in his own interest, when he's absent from the family, when he's weak. When he cannot make any decision, they do suffer, and the whole family suffers. But most especially, they suffer when the if she's if he's, if she's Catholic. I'm speaking to Catholic people, no. If if the man doesn't take the spiritual leadership, if he doesn't want to come to the church, if he doesn't want to pray, there was a study led by the Swiss government published in 2000. Uh, we found that. When on the, the, the overwhelming critical factor for the religious practice of the children is the religious practice of the father. I was very surprised when I read this. But that determines the church habits of their children for the most part. The study reported that if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful the wife is, only one child in 50 will become regular churchgoers, at least in Switzerland, but we can apply it here in some way or the other. no. One in 50. Yet if the father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, she could go or not go, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers in the future. So even children recognize the spiritual leadership of the father. We can like it or not, but these are facts from a nonpartisan study. So we can draw our own conclusions. and I, I would like just to find a final word to men here. We have a mission that we cannot walk away from. A God-given mission to serve and protect and, 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 to, and to love our families in, in, in a way that will reflect the love of Christ for the church. We need to uphold this idea of the family in this broken world and, and give hope to people, especially the ones here that are a little older Give hope to the younger people that this is possible and it's beautiful and it's joyful that we can have beautiful families. Not you know, of course without problems, but, but, but it's worth it. That it's worth to have many kids, for example. That it's beautiful to do that, to raise them, to protect them, that will bring you joy. The Bible is so clear about that. He says kids are like arrows for a for, for a warrior. And lastly, I have to finish, I already spoke a lot, I, I apologize for that. Um, you know, f- to the young people here, how important it is to discern your own vocation at some point? Am I called to be a lay person and be mar- um, you know, a father, a mother, or am I called to something else? So discerning is not only about becoming a priest or a sister, great if you have that vocation, but it's about understanding your whole life as a vocation, we all have a vocation. May the Holy Family inspire us.